Welcome to The Garage. I'm Scott Linehan. And I'm Joe Ubel. Uh, today's episode, we have 1031 exchanges. I picked a very complicated topic. So you went negotiations last week, and yep. I went uh, numbers and taxes and all of the issues to, to work on, right? So you're the smarter one. Oh, yes. He said it finally. <laughs> um, all right. Well, 1031s. So well, all right, because you tend to be the deeper approach. I tend to be the more common sense, like <laughs> give it to me in a regular talk kind of okay. guy. So all right, so then in that case, I'll prompt you. Because there's times you're talking, Joe, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell he just said, <laughs> but clearly it makes sense to his clients. So, so let's 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 kind of bring it all back and let's put you at the closing table, uh, and. There are a handful of IRS questions that every closing is, is, is given, right? Yep. Okay. One question is, um, did you acquire this in a 1031 exchange? And then at that point, your client's eyes blink over, and then they remember, holy crap, Scott's here. <laughs> and then they look at me, and I'm over there shaking my head going, no. You, you didn't did. do it. You didn't do it. You'd know it. <laughs> if you did, yeah, you would, you would know. There's a lot, so, of, a lot of hoops jump through. Let me bring back my, I'll pull out my blue collar and talk regular, regular speak. Okay. A 1031 exchange, if you have an investment or an income earning property, mm-hmm. it's not your primary residence. Yep. You've acquired that property. You have a, a basis value that you acquired it at. Let's say 200000 Yep. You go to sell that property and let's say it sells for 300,000. Okay. You have $100,000 worth of earned mm-hmm. um, appreciation and equity. Oh, well, I don't want to say equity. Not equity. Yep. It's income. In a hundred percent or a hundred thousand dollars worth of gain. Gain. Yep. That's the word I was okay. looking for on the property okay. that is taxable yep. through capital gains. What a 1031 exchange would do would allow you to take that $100,000 tax deferred mm-hmm. and move it into potentially two other properties. Or one other property. Or one other property mm-hmm. without the federal government getting their hands, federal or state, mm-hmm. getting their hands on that $100,000. Mm-hmm. So you're literally moving through this 1031 exchange your investment into another, which has to be of equal or higher value, yep. uh, or potentially two or even three, of the several. Yep. As long as, this is where we get into the, I'm going to stay away from the weeds, that in and of itself is a 1031 exchange. Correct, yeah. It can be very complicated and we can get into deeper We'll get into some of it. But the little, that, that's the, the, the nuances of it, essentially, is you're trying to take your uh, investment... Your gain. Your gain. Your appreciation. And you're not trying to get taxed on it, so you can then move to the next property and um, expand your investment on something else. So it's like it's like taking a property that you're not, it's just not as as profitable as a property that it, um, you maybe have more desire to own, or it's location you don't want anymore uh, because it's hard to get to, hard to maintain, or all those all factors. Well, let's say you don't do a 1031 exchange. You sell it. Mm-hmm. And then you go, yeah, I'm going to go buy some other properties. I'm tired of this one. I'm going to go buy that property down in Arizona. Right. You sell that property because it was an investment style property. All of a sudden you're seeing this tax bill 
and uh, the state and federal government are reaching into your pockets and pulling out their share. Well, it essentially, you should, it shouldn't say you're not going to get a tax bill. It's not going to be like you're not going to show up as a bill on your on at, at your door. But what it's going to do is it's going to be you're going to receive, um, you know, uh, come tax time you got to write it as income. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's, you have your income, so you make X amount of dollars, and then whatever that hundred thousand dollars you made on on your gain. Yeah. Then you're going to then have it add on top of your income. So then you, it bumps your tax bracket up from from A to B to C. Well, see, this is a part where I get. Like uh, someone may have bought it through an LLC, mm-hmm. right? Where it's got separate from their personal income. Correct. I mean, there's there's just whenever you start talking tax, this is where me as an individual I get frustrated. Where uh, why does it have to be so complicated, right? Yeah. Um. So I'm not in a I'm not a CPA. Nope. The me. 1031 exchange is simply a vehicle for you to look at state, federal, and just say, hey, hands off. I'm not done investing yet. Yep. Yeah, I'm not cashing in my chips yet. Yep. Wait until the end of the game. Yep. Right? So a 1031 exchange is a vehicle by which you can move that equity position uh, to another or other properties mm-hmm. and realize that, that full leverage that you have earned in that first property. Yeah, well, that's just, just an example of you know the $100,000 example you just gave, $200,000 of purchase, $300,000 sale price, they have hundred thousand dollars a gain there. Mm-hmm. If you let that go go into the taxes, you might lose a third of that. Yeah, you know. So if you look talking about buying another property after that, and that's that's basically your hold on payment, and you lose a third third of it. Yeah. So that's a huge huge loss. That criminal, you know, Joe. Goddamn criminal. Those <laughs> taxes. No. I. Uh, all right. So let's talk about a ten thirty one exchange. Okay. So you gave some little bit of nuts and bolts of it, but let's. That's let's kind of general view. Yep. Let's kind of get a little deeper on on what would happen. Okay. So um, there's two main versions of a, of a ten thirty one exchange. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the straightforward um, version is is a little less complicated, a little less cost, a little more cost effective. Okay. Okay. So that is a straightforward um, ten thirty one, which would be you sell your investment property. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you then have to uh, find another property to purchase. Yep. Okay. You've got a timeline. Yep. How many days do you have, Joe? You have 45 days from, from the date of closing, closing of your old property. Yep. And so what's going to happen is you're going to hire an intermediary, which is this 10 exchange company. Okay? Yes, that is authorized by uh, is authorized to hold money during a during a tax deferred exchange. Yeah. So that, that's that same idea is is um, you as the consumer are not allowed to touch that money in any of your bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that's tax income. Yep. So it's held by third party authorized Correct. third party. Correct. So it's it's hundred thousand dollars intermediary. Yep. yep. So that hundred thousand dollars that we just example we talked about, I yep. use that as an example. Yep. So hundred thousand dollars is put into this account. You have forty-five days to identify another property, okay? Yeah. And you have to. You're you're given a list to that to that intermediary, three three properties, and you can add or remove properties from that list, but you have to purchase one of those three properties, okay? Yeah. So, uh, say it's A property, B property, or C property, whatever it is, you have to buy one of those properties by uh, have it under contract within forty-five days. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then you have to close on it within 180 days of your original closing date. Yeah. So let me let me kind of make the timelines make a little more yep. sense for people. So let's say I have my property. I get a buyer. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, buyer says, yeah, Scott, we're going to, uh, today's date is, let's say it's July 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to close uh, end of August, right? Yep. But today is July 1st. I went under contract July 1st. Yep. I have from July 1st through the end of August, my closing date, yep. to go out and identify property. At least that period. Identify property. Yeah. You don't have to, don't have to close on it. Identify it. Yeah. Okay. Go under contract. Say, I'm buying this I'm buying this place, this fourplex. Yep. Right? So I identify it. Uh, what I did need to let my buyer know of my property mm-hmm. is that I intend to uh, utilize a 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. Doesn't affect your buyer at all, but it needs to be disclosed to them. Yep. Why? I don't know, but that's the rule. It's in the contract. That's the rule. Yeah. And we follow rules. <laughs> so I have until actually the end of August to identify a property just before a clock starts ticking. Yep. Once I close, let's say I haven't identified a property, then there's a real clock that really, really starts ticking, which is that 45-day window. Yep. yep. Yeah. Because if I don't close by the end of that 45 days, then the if I don't identify, I'm sorry, if I don't identify a property. Identify a property and get it under contract. And get it under contract. Because technically, I have six months to close that property. Correct. But I had that time frame from the time I was under contract to my close date, and then from my close date to another 45 days later to still identify a property. So there's a bigger window than 45 days Correct. to identify a property. Yep. Because 45 days just feels like nothing. It seems very right? quick. But once I'm under contract, uh, the planning starts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well before, before um, let's be very clear. Is you're probably before you actually um, flip the switch on putting your house up for sale, uh, that duplex, that triplex, whatever you're selling, um, that you probably already have a game plan. You already have identified what type of property you need to need to to, to invest into or mm-hmm. what, where you're looking, mm-hmm. and so you've already planned it out. Um, so you already know are hitting the ground running. Just like if you were selling your uh, single family house and you needed a, a house that's a little bit bigger for your family, you've identified a plan and you organized it. And you should be ready to hit the ground running once you sell your private place. Yeah. Well, it's not everyone, but... I know I got a good equity position. I want to diversify. Right. Yeah. You want to have two properties instead of one. Yeah. Or you have a single family, you want a duplex, two an income during... I'm tired of the neighbor next to this rental. I want to get... Want to get <laughs> he doesn't out. like you, maybe. I got rid of the HOA. Well, I'm trying to get rid of an HOA, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons. All right. Uh, so you can't touch the cash... What else did we want to, because there's some uh, additional items within that that, uh, 45-day window. Uh, There's some additional rules. There's the uh, three-property rule. Yep. What I kind of alluded to that you have to have three properties within that 45 days identified. You have to buy one of those three properties. Yeah. You can remove from the list, add to the list, but your intermediary, which is the person that's holding your money, has has holding that list for you, and you need to. I'm not sure they'll probably tell you to to send them a note and remove this one, add this one, mm-hmm. and that's how you're gonna you're gonna add properties to your list. Yep. Um, it has to be a like mine property too. Um, so a property you can't you can't sell your uh, three hundred thousand dollar property and go buy a two hundred thousand dollar property. Okay. Okay. So it has to be like minded. Yeah. Uh, so it has to be um, a sim- similar price point. Or similar style, um, like you can't 
uh, sell your single-family house and go buy a condo. Okay. Okay. So you can uh, have buy, sell your single-family house and go buy a duplex, or you can buy two duplexes or I didn't know two, that or two single families. I thought it was value. I I think it's it has to be a similar property. Huh. We should look into that. <laughs> we should verify that. We should right. verify that. All right. I didn't know that you couldn't go into like a condo. I think it has to be a similar property to what okay. you're doing. As, as long as it's income I'm, I'm driven, yeah. and I think it has to be similar. Property. I don't call you out. I I don't yeah. know. Yeah. In uh, any time you start talking tax stuff, mm-hmm. th- there's stuff on there that makes absolutely sometimes makes zero sense. Yeah. Someone took a loophole, twisted it, and then someone had to make another rule. Because to the someone, point you sit there and you go, "What the hell is this rule for?" Because right? someone did that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like uh, the two hundred percent rule states that uh, if you're exchanging, uh, let's say, your two hundred thousand dollar property, the properties that you exchange into can't be more than two hundred times the value of the relinquished property. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind. Uh, Four hundred thousand. Yeah, so you can't. You Why can't put that limit on people. I don't want to argue tax stuff, but that yeah. one doesn't make any sense to me at all. There. I, that's a great question. That I, you better ask a tax person. Yeah, definitely ask a tax person. But uh, you know, yeah. So, so essentially, if you have a two hundred thousand dollar property that you're relinquishing or you're selling, yeah, and then you can't buy more than one property or two properties worth four hundred thousand, more than four thousand, more than four thousand. That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't make the rules. I just, I just. just God damn it, Joe! You do make the rules. I do. Uh, the hundred eighty uh, day timeline, uh, holding periods. We kind of. Um, uh, do Do you want to allude to that? So, if you do exchange into a property, how long do you have to hold it? Two years. Two years. Yep. Yep. And there's a reason for that loophole being closed too, probably. Well, I'm sure someone's has has done the exchange and then tried to exchange it again and again, in some form that cause them to come back and change the rule. So here's one that is kind of a loophole mm-hmm. that isn't closed, as far as I know. If I exchange into a property, yep. let's say uh, <coughs> let's say I exchange into a property, I sell a place up here, an investment home, decide I'm going to buy an investment home down in Arizona, mm-hmm. right? I uh, purchase that property down there. Uh, um, and uh, at some point, I move my residency from here, sell this house, yeah. my primary. Yeah. Don't see any capital gains on the house up here. Mm-hmm. I move into that rental property down in Arizona mm-hmm. that I exchanged into. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding, if I live there for two solid years as my primary residence, I've established that as my homestead. Mm-hmm. And I'm free of capital gains. That's my understanding too as well. You know, you have to defer to, to a, your tax professional on the end game of that. But if from perspective of what we see, yeah, yeah that's that's a, a true real game plan for some people. Some people. Um, then another, um, I've seen that it happened um, recently here. I had someone mm-hmm. had a rental property, and they've had it for thirty plus years, and they and they both said, "Hey, I really want to uh, to realize the full gain of this property." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well." 
it's been a rental property for 30 years, you're going to have to live in the property for two or two of the next five years before it becomes, um, you know, otherwise they're going to be coming after your, your full, full gain, which yeah. is like 200 and, you know, $30,000. Yeah. That's a huge amount of money that you're, you're going to walk away with huh. or walk away from. So I said, your best bet right now is move in. Uh-huh. So, um, in that, in that regard, um, there's, there's ways around what you just, just, just uh, suggested yeah. that you can take advantage of the tax codes, um, to be able to, to get back into it. So as long as it's primary residence, it can be less taxes are involved. Now let's talk about, uh, that, that, that idea of that homestead property. So your property that's homesteaded is free from, from a ta- the taxes essentially up to certain points. So individuals, 250,000. Yep. Married, married five, 500,000. Yep. So it, it's, it was out the window when you go over 500,000. On now, the realized gains. So between what you paid for it and what you sell it for. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But you're going to report that income over, uh, if save sells over $500,000, you're not going to essentially um, be taxed on that. Yeah. But you're going to be reported to, reported. The, IR, to IRS. And Someone's IRS, going to take a closer look at it. Yeah. They're going to go back and go say, all right, this is what we're... What do you buy for? What do you buy for? What's his basis? Yeah. Correct. So at that point, you might have some taxable income on that, but it won't be... You're not paying 500000 on tax. So you and I started talking about exchanges, and in our minds, you know, we live in Minnesota. Uh, if you don't own a cabin, you know someone that owns a cabin. Right. So we start, you know, our brains start going into, well... Let's say you took that cabin <laughs> and you run that through a 1031 exchange. You could buy something else. Yeah, right? Buy, buy a condo in Florida. Then I buy that condo in Florida or I buy the place down in Arizona or yeah. whatever, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So you and I start looking at that knowing that there's got to be a, a lock on this loophole, right? Mm-hmm. And there there is. Yeah. Uh, and it's a... Um, it's a very limiting one, yeah. but it's still very doable. Mm-hmm. Um, the cabin. In order to qualify for a 1031 exchange, okay. it needs to be a, a rental, an income-producing property. Yep. For 14 days out of the year for two years. Mm-hmm. Right? This is, this is uh, at least what I'm getting off of the um, the tax consultant deal here. So, um, but you can't use it for more than 14 days per year for two years leading up to the sale. And wasn't there something about the 10% rule to where if you only can use 10% of what you're renting it for? And that's, that's gets weird. So in order to get over the 14 days of use for myself or you, if you own a cabin, is uh, you can't stay there for a, a, a maximum of 14 days or 10% of the total days rented. So let's say you rented it out for 200 days out of the year. Mm-hmm. You would be able to stay there 20 days as opposed to 14. Mm-hmm. And still be an income, income producing property. Which and is crazy because if it's rented out for 200 days, that is a rent, uh, income producing property essentially yeah so yeah. that's that's your airbnb uh, vrbo situation yeah and that that opened up a whole can of worms too that um vacation i'm stuff. gonna stay as far away from as possible 
Well, the, explain, you know, the situation with that. Yeah, that's definitely a little more complicated uh, in um, terms of an investment strategy than, you know, just a straight rental yeah. um, but per month, per year situation. Yeah. Uh, but that's all the rage it's right now. It's kind of all fit in there. Yeah. Right? It's all, it's, it's all it's income producing yeah. property, so it's a business, essentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's also, you know, hit on the accidental landlord, you know, a little bit. So um, we kind of alluded to the fact that people were, you know, you could move him back into your property if he was a rental and you could realize the gain that it was there. Yeah. Um, uh, make it a private residence. Yeah. But what about the person that, um, moved out of the property, um, and decided to rent it instead of sell it and they moved on to the their, their new private residence. The accidental landlord, that's what you're talking about. Correct. Yeah. It is probably... I thought you had read a book, Joe. Which really <laughs> surprised me. I'm kidding. Whoa. I'm kidding, Joe. We're shooting shots again. I'm kidding. Um, so the accidental landlord. So you so you move out of their property, and now they rent their property. So now they, they are using that as a rental property. Yeah. And that property now is a viable 1031 exchange property if they've rented it. Um, yeah. But that then again, that property would have to be uh, um, moved back into if you want to uh, realize those tax gains or losses. Yeah. So let's say, because um, I've utilized this one myself. Yep. Uh, let's say I uh, um, I go out buy another property. I start renting out what was my primary residence. Mm-hmm. As long as, uh, once I get to year three, in my mind, Joe, mm-hmm. year three, because at some point you're going to be asked a question, one of the pre-qualifying questions from, at the closing table, have you lived in this home as your primary residence for two of the last five years? Yep. So I can technically rent that property out for three years mm-hmm. before I start getting into a capital gains type issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, it was my primary residence for two of the last five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I had a property I owned out in South St. Paul that was that way. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to that, started tickling that year three. Yeah. And I moved. Yeah. Because I had not planned, I think, on keeping that one. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It was a unique property. Correct. You mean correct? <laughs> it was unique. <laughs> it was. I told you it was. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so let's just talk uh, briefly on the next sub-subject of 1031. Okay. Okay, the reverse 1031. I'm out. You're out. Done. I'm out. I don't want to talk about it anymore. This is a unique one in the sense that, uh, my understanding, uh, someone I know just utilized this. Yeah, and... Without this... me even realizing this is what they did. So the, the, the benefit of this one um, is that... You don't have to relinquish your property yet. You don't have to follow that timeline. Yeah. That 45 days, that 180 days, There's timeline isn't as stringent as that. Mm-hmm. It's basically you identify your property, you come up with the cash, the down payment, the uh, um, the closing costs, you close on your new property. Yeah. Okay. The catch is the new property then is held in title by the um, 1031 exchange company. The intermediary. The intermediary. Yeah. Right? Okay, and then um, the intermediary is waiting for you then to sell your old property and then uh, realize the capital that you put into it and then you get to take the capital you re- removed from the other property. So say you get $100,000 you, yep. you've, you've taken out of it 
and pay yourself back for the down payment, the closing costs, even repairs and upgrades you put on the, in the new property. Hmm. You can then pay yourself back and not have to be taxed on it. No click, no no clocks, no timelines. Uh, I don't think there's any, any class of timelines that they're, they're, they're working on. I'd have to I'd have to verify that, but that, that they're my understanding there is no like end game where you have to have a certain amount of time to do it. I didn't see any of my quick peruse. I just wondered if. But you're essentially you're not entitled of the, of the your new I property. I've never done one of these. Complete disclaimer. Yeah. But it sounds like a a, a good idea. The the only the catch on on this one is you'd be having to deal with. Uh, a more a cost effective or cost less cost effective way to do it. This would be about almost triple the cost of a normal ten thirty one exchange, and so instead of being a thousand to two thousand uh, dollars for a ten thirty one normally, um, depends on extra uh, administrative fees. I'm sure on top of that, you might be looking at courses from like five to eight thousand dollars. You know, give or give or give or take. Yeah. So I think it has its benefits in today's market because we all have been seeing the market accelerating itself and hard to get your arms and hands on properties. And to then relinquish your property before you buy something is kind of tough because you don't know if you're sure you're going to be able to grab on the next next property and then lose your taxes. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll lose your income property and have to be taxed on it. Yeah. Once that 45 days is done, you have, have it under contract, you're done. There's no like going back on it. Yeah, that's why you always, if the ones that I have done, um, there's always one property as a backup. That's the like if I absolutely have to buy the property, I will, kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. And as much as you don't want to, you do. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the last time I did one. Then we needed a backup, but uh, I but see that, what you mean. It, it came into effect with my, with my one last one I did because we were trying to, we were playing the market. You know, in a in a sense that we were trying to identify a property that was, you know, definitely uh, the better of the best, you know, kind of thing. Trying yeah. to trying to upgrade big time, and then realizing that that you know we're hitting the walls. You know, whether it's not finding the right property or it's not, and then you have this one property. It's like, okay, not great, but it, it fits in, into what what I need to do, which is a better property. Yeah. So, it was still available. So yeah. it worked out. So, what do we add? Um, I don't know. I think that's that's the nuts and bolts of a ten thirty one. Yeah, um, I feel like we covered the nuts and bolts. Yeah, is anything else we we missed on that? I'm sure I'll think of something as I'm editing this, and you're gonna add into it. Well, because I usually listen to it as I'm going back editing, because you know I gotta do all that high tech stuff that I do to it. <laughs> Edit out coughs, sniffles. <laughs> I say I'm going to, and then I never do. Um. No, I think this is a, a general overview. I mean, it's a great uh, vehicle for people to utilize mm-hmm. if they've got an investment property. Uh, yeah. I mean, keep... I don't know. If you're getting out of the rental game, I get it. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to expand your portfolio, this is a great way to do it. This, yeah, it definitely is. And sometimes people just need a different, have a different conversation about what to do with their their rental property and sometimes they're not aware of these avenues and I think you know sitting down and just having a general conversation about what's possible and mm-hmm. so it's not overwhelming because it definitely it's complicated you know but I think you can work it through is, its complications it's not. it's not but it is in a lot of ways because it's kind of again who holds my money and you know am I still going to have access it to it it all makes sense 
Yeah. Don't you think so? I do. Yeah. But does like it, I mean, it, for the general consumer, once they have more than two minutes of talking about it, I think this would be enough. Yeah. To kind of, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be be a good yeah. resource. Well, I mean, I hate to what we said that makes sense, but you know. All right. Um, the sign it off. I think so. All right. I'm Scott Lanahan. And I'm Joe Ubel. Thanks for stopping by the garage. <laughs>